Okay. Well, you and your Linux Ubuntu phone can do whatever you want and nobody <laughs> will right. spy on you because nobody else has that kind of phone and nobody cares. I got, I got a mystery phone. Hello. Good morning. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Ben has a deep voice cold edition. <laughs> I am Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow. And I am joined today by my colleague, the editor of our blog, Ryan Donovan. Hey, Ben. I only have a mild gravel today. Yeah, it's usually you're deeper than I am, but today we switched it up. So to start the day, we're going to talk about big companies versus little companies. You shared a post from Less Wrong. I don't know how to count that low. Uh, I guess this was also picked up on Hacker News. And the idea is, you know, you might work at one of these big fang companies somebody brings you a problem you sort of say like look if it doesn't need 100 database shards scattered across mm-hmm. the globe you know why are we even putting time into this so what is the counter argument to be made when are small company problems worth paying attention to even if you work at a goliath well i think the the small company problems are absolutely valuable when you're you know starting up solve a new problem right the big company problems are are all about scale you have a little problem. You're not worried about fitting an entire database into memory. You just need to have the the small tools to solve the problem. I mean, the other thing I think about with stuff like this is the ripple effect. So mm-hmm. someone I know just joined one of the largest fashion brands in the world. And you would think of them as hip in the sense of the clothes they make and the people who wear them, the advertising they do. But once you get inside and start working there, you realize they're on all of these unbelievably antiquated legacy systems and they're actually costing themselves according to this person an unbelievable amount of time and money because they haven't bothered to solve a lot of the small sort of little nagging problems that come up day in day out you know for them it's like it doesn't matter we're a global brand everybody knows who we are we're selling the clothes and we're not selling the clothes like where the emails go that are stored in the spreadsheet that counts the fabric We'll figure it out. They're using the the most meat possible to uh, <laughs> to solve every every little problem. Yeah, exactly. When you know it could just be a, a Google Sheets. I worked at Vox Media, which mm. when I started had less than a thousand people, and I don't know now. I think when I left, it had like seventeen hundred people. I don't know how many it has now. Then I worked at DJI, which had fourteen thousand people, and they were they were really spread out across the globe. And now I work at Stack Overflow, which has three hundred people. Three hundred people is definitely the best. It's great to be able to reach anybody in any department when you need them and to feel like if there's an issue that's cross-functional, it doesn't take that long to figure out how to raise it. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to get the resources to solve it right away or people can put it on the roadmap You know, right now. They might have other priorities, but just that sense of visibility throughout the organization is really nice. I mean, that said, larger companies are great for learning. Like, There's so much knowledge there. People from all these other companies bring their knowledge to this large company and kind of this pool that everybody learns from. You have all these pre, pre-made solutions that people have and they're like, oh, what about, you know, what if we use this? And maybe the people at the company have never heard of it. Right. The other folks. I've worked at really small companies, you know, 20 people. And like, there's a lot of people at those companies that have been there their entire career. And you don't get that kind of cross-pollination. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret for Stack Overflow, but I think we're sort of going through a changing of the guard. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a new CEO in October 2019 and then a new CTO, CPO, Teresa, and then with the recent 
acquisition by process, a lot of old veteran stack overflow engineers and architects and stuff have taken the chance to try something new. So it'll be interesting to see to what degree we can sort of keep what they built, capture that knowledge, you know, like retain some of the value that you would have had from a Nick Craver being on mm-hmm. staff versus a Nick Craver having left <laughs> left all yeah. his hard work, hopefully carefully documented in Stack Overflow for Teams, trademark TM. I mean, yeah. every, every video call I've been in with him, I wish I could have recorded. It was interesting. You and I were interviewing a um, community member who had gotten to a million reputation and he, Nick Craver for him, like marked time at Stack Overflow. I think he said he joined sort of like as a beta user, but then right. Nick Craver joined and they had a number of interactions and now Nick Craver has left. And these are like, these are the eras of Stack Overflow. There's the before Nick Craver, after Nick Craver. These That's are- right. We're in a brave, brave new world. Another interesting thing that came out of that conversation, and you and I will probably write a blog post about it, is uh, you know this person is very dedicated to answering questions on the network, which is great. They've gotten to a million reputation. They try to answer questions every day. So clearly they're helping a lot of people. On the other hand, they don't ask any questions <laughs> because right. the experience right. is too is too rough for them, which is so telling, I think, of you know the challenges and the opportunities we have in front of us. He also said that there's an unwritten community rule that after a certain reputation point, people are like, why are you asking questions? You're too big of a player to be asking questions. It feels like, you know, that seems unfair, right? I'm going to, there's going to be stuff I don't know. Yeah. Let, let's just all acknowledge we don't know at all. And when you don't know something, just ask, don't pretend, you know, or, you know, spend a ton of time researching on your own. If it's not your, you know, a topic you're familiar with, just get, just ask. That's so interesting because it, it cuts both ways. It's like, you don't know enough about this place and how to ask a question. You haven't done mm-hmm. the research, but you, you know too much about this place. And you right, should do your right. own research. And it's like, well, who does get to ask questions again? Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, we continue to, I mean, he's gotten a million rep, but he's answering, he's helping people every single day. So I'm glad to know that's happening on the network. Yeah. You know, and I, I definitely appreciated his perspective of, of service. And he seemed very humble. He was just like, I'm just going to go there. Hopefully I'm helping people. We had a few new folks join on the community team, and I did a call with them yesterday, and they were saying that everyone who's joining the community team has a sort of challenge within their first, I forget, six months or a year to get 350 reputation on the network. So they were asking me mm. for advice. So here's my advice if you're listening and you, you want to build up a little rep and then you get some extra privileges you can utilize on Stack Overflow, but you don't want to start asking questions on Stack Overflow. You'll get there eventually. If you're a native English speaker, or of a different language. Mm-hmm. There's a couple stack exchanges where you can go and just help people learn a language. So that's where I've gotten mm-hmm. some. It's just going and, you know, how would you phrase this sentence? Or what's the right way to do the possessive here? How do you do the plural? So that's a good one. You're helping people from all over the world learn learn a language. Yeah, there's there's all the other stack exchanges that, that people can uh, jump right. into. Right, yeah. You could jump into Stack Overflow in Russian or Japanese or Spanish. And each one of those has its own, actually, community and vibe. So, you know, like you're not just getting obviously maybe in your native language or because you want to practice that language, but you're also getting a, a different sort of set of community norms, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And I'm sure there's there's folks, you know, in Stack Overflow who are frustrated with, you know, people coming in and saying, hey, you know, answer this homework question for me right. or fix this bug. And it's like, well, it's not what we All do. All right, tell me where I'm wrong. Here's what we do. You get to ask any question you want. And if it's not a good question, then nobody engages with it. And then after three months, it goes into like a queue of things that are going to be closed. And after three more months, if nobody's engaged with it, meaning nobody's searching for this question, 
and coming to mm-hmm. it and needing an answer or wanting an answer or giving an answer, then we just it's just deleted. And there's no more closed cues and there's no more stress. <laughs> if a question is a great question and it serves people because somebody gave an answer, it was interesting, or people keep searching for it and they need an answer, then the community will contribute to the knowledge and that will denote its value. Tell me where I'm wrong. I think you've just created another queue. You've just created another right. queue. But that's of an automated question. That's the like nobody engaged with the queue after six months. If it has no answer and no not many views, it just it just goes away. But th- there's gonna be people going through and saying, like, hey, should I engage with this? Should I engage with this? And at some point you should flag it so people aren't wasting their time wondering if they should engage with it over the three, six months. That's the whole thing. Like if you're on the network and you just look at new questions, you have an opportunity. And they pass you by. Otherwise, you're only going to end up with questions if you're searching for something specific. And if a lot of people are searching for something, hopefully that means it'll get a certain number of views or a certain number of comments and answers. And that's a signal. The negative signal, instead of being closed question or downvote, is just nobody engages with it. Like when I send out a bad tweet, nobody has to close the tweet or downvote it. It's just a bad tweet and no, nobody likes it or retweets it. And then I know it wasn't a great tweet. Right. That's all there is to it. I think uh, the the feedback signals are more valuable. And I think one of the things we should go for, and, and I think we are trying to do, is, is mm-hmm. get better feedback signals. Right. When somebody has a bad question and they're new, we want to say, hey, this is a bad question. Here's how to make it a better question. You don't want to just be like, I'm going to ask a question and it goes But I think those void. can be two separate things. I think there can be a whole workflow and a whole process to say, like, when somebody new asks a question, let's try to set them up for success. I vote for that in every way possible. All I'm saying is the only negative signal you need is no engagement, no answer, no searches. That's the only negative signal you need to know this isn't valuable for our gilded library of universal ultimate knowledge that will last forever. Because if it is valuable and it is needed, you will get that signal. Personally, I would rather have somebody say this is wrong than saying like, oh, great, great piece. Yeah, but that's different. That doesn't help me. I don't know. I cannot I think in the context of a working environment as somebody who's a journalist for a long time, you need us to have built up a certain amount of trust with people or be working with them closely, or have the experience of having been edited many, many times. And then you're a nerd to that and you can you understand it's constructive. Obviously, again, there's people sure. who can take it because there's people who contribute to the network every day. But I think overall, we we know that we need to improve the dynamics in terms of encouraging more people and making it more friendly. So that my suggestion mm-hmm. is for how we can dial it back. I have been surprised at the number of blog posts that I've given, you know, what I thought was sort of crushing feedback. And people being like, oh, thank you. That's right. That's amazing. That really helps We're paying those people to write. So (laughs) but it's that again. That's different. That's not somebody coming on the internet being like, hey, I could use a little help. People are like, the way you asked for help was terrible. Right. That's different. Get better at asking for help. What's costing your business time and money? Inaccurate address data. Smarty Streets provides blazing fast address validation, auto-completion, and rooftop geocoding APIs. Stack Overflow listeners get a kick-awesome t-shirt in one of three designs when you start your free trial. Get yours at smartystreets.com slash stackoverflow. Head on over there, check out the free trial, get an awesome t-shirt, and support the show. So you shared an interesting piece. I don't think we'll dive too deeply into it, but I think it's worth touching on. And again, I think we can sort of tie it back to Stack Overflow and our network. There's a lot of changes happening in the world of devices, specifically Apple, and they're making a lot of changes in the way that they share information with other apps. 
which has caused a lot of consternation among apps that used to track people or just gather a lot of data and made their money showing ads. So Apple has kind of made privacy, I think, a big selling point to consumers as something that it will do. It's funny, Apple also does have an ad business, but let's leave that to the side for now. But then also recently, there's been a lot of back and forth. And I know developers and programmers and engineers seem very passionate about it. I see it at the top of Hacker News and our programming all the time about Apple's decision to Mm -hmm. scan or not scan photos for illegal content and then share that information with authorities. So I don't think it's really our place to weigh in on the merits. Like I'm not going to give my concerned opinion Mm -hmm. here, but I do think it's an interesting dynamic because there's always this push and pull with technology companies of trying to protect your users' privacy, trying to protect them from bad actors, you know, who might steal their data or their PII, but not wanting to put right. yourself in a bind if law enforcement does need your help and your help could, you know, prevent real harm or put mm-hmm. bad actors, you know, behind bars. Are you able to do that? You know, with end certain kinds of end-to-end encryption, you're basically saying, I don't want to be in the loop there. You know, like I don't want it to be up to me. I'm not gonna unlock this phone or decrypt this text message, you know, just by removing that option as a technology company, then I don't have to think about it. But then law enforcement will say, well, now you're just facilitating, you know, the bad actors because they know they can use your platforms and they'll never be exposed. So where do do you come down on that stuff? It's tough because anytime a lot of those breaking the, the sort of encryption or law enforcement unlocking a phone requires putting in a secret backdoor and somebody else is going to find that backdoor. Anytime you put in a feature of some sort, it is going to be hackable. We've talked to a lot of folks in the sort of computer vision machine learning space. That's another one that is open for abuse, even if you know people are, are best at the tensions. But once you have a camera that can start recognizing faces and text, it's just going to be re- recognizing all faces and text everywhere. So I had to think about this at a personal level when I worked at DJI, because the company had always set out a mandate saying we'll never sell to the military and we'll never create drones that are weaponized. But obviously, you know, people could buy them off the shelf at Walmart and large militaries did start to buy them right. off the shelf because they were so they were so much better and cheaper than what you would get from, you know, a traditional defense contractor. And so then a lot of criticism came in, you know, well, you now you're building tools that are being used by XYZ military. And don't you agree that, you know, this military is doing deplorable things? How can you support that? And they, I was told by some people who work there, you know, like that there's sort of a, a history to this and the name for it is the Toyota problem. So Toyota made like a, is the Land Rover? Is that Toyota? Um, a Land Rover, a specific brand. Okay. So I'm not exactly sure, but anyway, they, they called it the Toyota problem. You could call it the Land Rover problem. Anyway, the base, the gist of it was there was a car manufacturer that made these Jeeps that were exceptionally good in like rocky and Mm -hmm. desert terrain and had like a back that was open and easy to modify. And so people started buying them and putting like mounted machine guns on them and using them as like an assault vehicle, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is Toyota pickup trucks. Right. Exactly. And so then, you know, the, then people started saying, Hey, listen, you got to stop selling in this territory or you got to like figure out a way to build them. So they can't be modified like this. This goes all the way, you could go all the way down, you know, Hey, you know, I know you're making this hammer and this nail, you know, for like building houses, but somebody could use this to hurt somebody else. So like, you know, at what point do you sort of throw the onus back on the user? That, that, that did help me think about, you know, what was acceptable to me morally when I was working at that company. Right. I mean, it's sort of on the, uh, the user-generated content thing. Like, are you responsible for everything your users do with your tools? The guy who created Curl, he was banned from entering the U.S. for a while because 
curl or one of its libraries was used in some ransomware. Yeah, this is coming up a lot now with Bitcoin and crypto, and I really feel like it's it's missing the mark. I know you don't agree, but they're you know they're saying like it used to be so much easier to fight these cyber attacks because at some point they'd have to get paid, and that's where we'd nab them. Now you know crypto exists, and so that's why we have so much more you know so many more problems with ransomware and, and state level cyber attacks and all these other things. It's like, well, no, you have these problems because there's like bad actors who aren't suffering consequences that could come in many different ways. You know, the problem is not that Satoshi came up with a, you know, a funky idea for how to create a decentralized payment platform. But, you know, like it's like once there's an institution mm-hmm. and a hierarchy and a structure in place, if something new comes in and makes bad acting easier, then they say, OK, we'll get rid of the new thing. Like the new thing is the problem. <laughs> right. And somebody, you know. In a lot of those cases, the ransomware stuff, somebody is protecting them. Not to throw controversy out right, there, but right, exactly. they, they have safe harbors. But yeah, getting back to the photo scanning one, I think it's a personal thing. You know, we talked about this before with how many times huge companies are hacked. And if you go to have I been have I been pwned, like I've been pwned 50 times in, you know, mm-hmm. data leaks from Yahoo and Facebook and Foursquare and you name it. So I think about this as like, yeah, like I would never store something digitally that I would be horribly ashamed to get out there because it I don't have any control over that. All these leaks say like it's gonna get out there, right? It's gonna get out there. And in terms of financing, in terms of finances, like I keep my money, you know, spread out in different places. But the bank, you know, supposedly, if they get hacked, I have FDIC insurance or whatever. Like I if my credit card gets stolen, you know, the most it's gonna cost me is fifty dollars. That's like how I fall back on this stuff. Cause I just assume at some point it's gonna happen. And so to the same degree, and you know, I guess this is up for debate. I hadn't, maybe I haven't thought it all the way through. I could, I could take this back in a future episode, but yeah, if Apple wanted to scan my photos to try to catch child predators, I'm okay with that. If it's like, if they do their absolute best to put it all into a giant data lake and super anonymize it. And just when they find something that's, or that is a direct match to something that exists in a database, then they, you know, alert the authorities. That's okay with me. I'm, I'm willing to give up that amount of freedom and privacy to fight that kind of crime, but that's, doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. It's de- I could see how it's debatable. I think with with that, I'm sort of uncomfortable about the, the kind of Fourth Amendment search and seizure law right. implications where it's like you're... But you it's know. in the TOS. You don't have to upload your photos to iCloud. And if you don't, then they'll never do it. It's not on device. It's not without your permission. It's only if you decide to use their cloud service, right? Mm. I'm pretty sure that's well, right. I think it was scanning on device, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Okay, you're right. Not only to scan iCloud photos, but also check for matches on your iPhone or iPad. Right. That's, that's, the, that's the line people are concerned about. And that does make sense. Maybe it's a, it's too far in the sense that, I mean, but right. So the worst outcome is that somebody is falsely accused. Falsely accused. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you were saying before, and this is true. Oh, well, what we don't want to do is open up back doors, you know, and then right. somebody else is going to you know, utilize this and scan all your photos. Right. But I guess like it's pretty clear to me Apple already has the ability to look at anything on your phone, especially in mm-hmm. iCloud, but just in general, it's their device. I don't necessarily know if they'll have to add new backdoors here. So that makes it a little bit less threatening. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of uncomfortable with the idea where people are thinking it's their device. It's not. It should be your device. They shouldn't have free range to roam over it with, with scanning or put apps on well, it's, it. But it's also want. their operating system. If you were just wanted to buy mm-hmm. neutral hardware and put your own you know, operating system on there or build your own operating system, then nobody can do anything to you. I mean, there are open source operating systems out there you can use and you could build your own phone. I mean, like I know. I, I mean, I want I want a, a world where when you buy something, you own it instead of this like terms of service where you're just sort of renting everything. It does seem like the tide may have turned in a good way on the 
you bought it, you own it, you can repair it. I mm-hmm. was at the Verge 10-year anniversary party over the weekend, which was nice. And iFixit came and did some teardowns and some repairs and seemed bullish on some recent decisions that companies nice. may be slowly turning back in this direction, kind of like the way they slowly turn towards open source, but also you know, judges and, and, and legal precedent may slowly be turning back in this direction as well. That's great. You bought it, you own it. Okay. Well, you and your Linux Ubuntu phone can do whatever you want and nobody <laughs> will right. spy on you because nobody else has that kind of phone and nobody cares. I know. I, I got a mystery <laughs> phone. Let me pull up a great question. How do I stop annoyed wizards from killing people all the time? Hmm. This is a question that comes up often in my life. That's right. Um, Everybody has this problem. <laughs> if the wizards are more powerful than lords, then they form a majocracy. So you learned a new word today. Majocracy. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. Again, I am Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper, although I'm taking kind of a break from social media. But if you de- if you send me a message on Twitter, I always read them. Even if I don't follow you, I, I always check it out and read it, except the DM. You can email us, podcast at stackoverflow.com with questions or suggestions for the show. And if you like the show, leave a rating and a review. That way we'll know what you want to hear more of in the future. I'm Ryan Donovan, content marketer here at Stack Overflow. I edit the blog, the newsletter. You can find me at Twitter at rthordonovan, although I'm also still taking a break from Twitter. And if you have a great idea for a blog, email me at pitches at stackoverflow.com. Yeah. Should we tell people to find us? We're like, find us on Twitter, but we're never there. So yeah, good luck with that. I do check it. I get, if, if you send me a message on Twitter, it's like a nice open way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Send me a message and then I'll I lurk. Don't go there for any fresh tweets. I'm not sending out any fresh tweets, but if you want to it's contact how I find, me. Find out what celebrities have birthdays. Exactly. See what's trending. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you soon.